Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Listen to this quote. Listen to this quote very carefully. It's been said that if you live in a graveyard too long, you will stop crying when someone dies. Let that sink in just a little bit. I'm going to read it again. It's been said that if you live in a graveyard too long, you will stop crying when someone dies. This morning, church, I want to talk to you about the hardness of the heart. The hardness of the heart. And you go, why? For today, we see that Jesus, our Jesus, is going to teach the Pharisees that divorce was permitted when the heart became hardened. And we, in these 15 verses, are actually going to see three stories. And you go, what are they? Well, in the first couple of verses, we're going to see that Jesus is going to continue to love and heal the people. And we'll talk about the hardness of heart. Number two, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce and the hardness of heart. And at the very end, we're going to, Jesus is going to teach on the children. So we have, we have healing, we have marriage, we have divorce, and we have children. All in one teaching. Aren't you lucky? So two verses, if you're taking note. Continuing, Jesus continues with the healing. He's been doing that through all of the book of Matthew. I may remind you that Matthew is and written to the Jewish people. Mark kind of gives us a different account, and we'll see that a little bit because he's writing to the Romans, okay? So you've got, you're writing to the Jewish people, and, and if you write to a certain group of people, you, you understand their background, and you don't have to go into a whole lot of detail, but if you're writing to a Gentile people, it's a little bit different. So we'll see two different writings. Three verses Jesus, Matthew spends Jesus um, on children, but much of the study is on marriage and divorce. Ten verses as we came, is basically as we come to today's teaching. Now, the one thing we must grasp, you guys ready? I need you to pay attention. You cannot tune out. Is that this is not a message on marriage and divorce only. It's a message on the hardness of our hearts. Sometimes in this cruel world, we've been hurt so bad that our hearts become hard. Not only towards God, but towards all other things. I know specifically there are folks that have a hard heart towards children and will not have children. Nope, not going to have them. Nope, 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 nope. Children, nope, 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 So I understand. I understand. But we need to talk about the hardness of heart since that's the foundation of our, our teaching today. So the hardness of heart describes a negative condition in which a person ignores, spurns, or rejects the gracious offer of God to be in part of his or her life. Now, whenever we have an invitation to come to the family of God, 
a hardness of heart can happen when you go, no, I like my life the way it is. I don't need to be saved. My cousin invited me to church, but I'll just, I made them, I made them happy, so I'm just going to go. But a soft heart is when you hear the gospel, and all of a sudden your hand's going up, and you don't know why, and you're responding, and, you're, and, and, and you realize, I got saved. I just got saved. I gave my life to God. I got saved. And that not only happens in churches, but it happens as you minister throughout your jobs and, and throughout the city of Lubbock. Jesus spoke of a general condition of human hardness. And it's that, and, and again, he's going to speak of this, and God takes that into consideration in dealing with us. And we're going to see that in today's teaching. Now, to better understand our text, it's important to understand the broad biblical meaning of the word heart. The Bible considers the heart to be the hub of the human personality. Like what? Well, what does it produce? Well, it produces things that would ordinarily ascribe to the mind. For example, our thoughts, our reasoning, and most importantly, guys, our understanding, our faith, our belief, and all all the products of the heart. Sometimes... In our minds, we allow them to be intellectual, but it never penetrates to the heart of the issue. And you go, well, in my mind, in my mind. But really, biblically, it says this is, this is the issue of the heart. And Jesus tells us that the heart is the repository for good and evil, and that what comes out of our mouth, both good or bad, begins in the heart. You've heard that before, right? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. That's why on every sarcastic joke, every joke, every little thing, there's a little bit of truth to it. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Consider this. It's easy to see how a hardened heart can dull a person's ability to perceive and understand. Anyone's heart can harden, and I'm afraid, even the faithful Christian. Hearts can also become hardened, how so? If we suffer setbacks and disappointments in life. No one is immune to the trials here on earth. We studied that before. Yet, just as steel is forged by the, by, by the blacksmith's hammer, so can the valleys of life. As Paul encouraged the Romans, he says this, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I'm not sure how many of us get up in the morning and go, woohoo, I'm suffering today, yes! That certainly isn't me. But Paul says, he says, but we also rejoice in the sufferings. And I go, why, Paul? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit by whom he's giving us. And so we realize here, guys, we realize that, again, there are those times And we have to be careful because the very trials in our lives that God is bringing us through so that he can grow us, like Paul says, so that we can can produce perseverance and we can produce character and hope. 
is actually reversed, and now we have a hardened heart. That church is important as we approach this text. It's important to understand. For you see, we must speak the truth, but we must do it in love. Can I get an amen? A lot of us want to speak the truth, but oftentimes we don't speak it in love. We just tell the truth. But, but Jesus taught us a little bit different. Now, very quickly, let me remind you where we left off three weeks ago. We talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness. And our sermon title was actually Live to Forgive. And here's what we learned. Are you ready? Number one, we learned that true forgiveness is an act of grace empowered by God. Is that not true? True forgiveness has to come from the Lord. You and I can muster it up as much as we want and say we forgive, but unless it's a work of God, we tend to hold on to that. How do I know? Because we'll say, I'll truly forgive, but I won't. Exactly. And if we're not really moving forward, then we haven't forgiven. So I have to employ the Lord. It's like Corey Ten Boom said, Lord, I can't forgive, but you in me can. True forgiveness is a work of God. So if God is asking you to forgive somebody today, you must go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help with this. Number two, we learned that true forgiveness results in a changed attitude toward one another. We saw this and we illustrated in, in the water and the forgiveness and, and make sure the water's not too hot and go, yeah, I forgive, but oh, I'll never see them again. And I'm, and, and, and I was at the grocery store the other day and I saw somebody and, and they hurt me, but I've forgiven them, but I'm not, you know, and, 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 and you really want to run your cart into them. Or we're cold. Okay. So we're cold about forgiveness. We're like, yeah, I've forgiven. Well, are you going to say hi? I'm not going to say hi. I've forgiven him, but I don't have to. We have to be careful because it changes our attitude. When we understand that our Heavenly Father has forgiven us, come on somebody, all of our sins, our past, our present, even the ones that, that, that we hopefully won't commit but will, He's forgiven. Oh, that changes our attitude. That changes our heart. I'll tell you why. Because our Heavenly Father in heaven is not looking down with His arms crossed going, oh, there's Adam. I have a hard time with Adam. Oh, he's praying to me? I don't think so. How do you like that, Adam? Well, God never does that to us, does he? So we need to represent God in the same way. Number three, we talked about true forgiveness takes time. And that's what we must understand. It takes time. Well, I'm a Christian. I need to... It takes time. Okay. Okay. We also learned that true forgiveness must be real. Because sometimes we can just say the words that we don't mean it. We don't mean it. And number five, true forgiveness often involves forgetting. That doesn't mean that you forget. the. I understand you can forget some of the very hard, hurtful things that somebody did to you, but you now begin to look at them the way Jesus looks through them. And you need to walk in that. We learned all about that. You go, but I wasn't here. Okay, well, you can go back on the podcast and you can listen to that. 
And then we come to chapter 19. As you know, at Calvary Chapel, we do verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. And I've got to be honest with you. There are some stuff I'd go, I don't want to teach on this. I don't want to teach on this. I'm, I'm good. Let's talk about happy, fun stuff. And the Lord says, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about divorce. And I said, I don't want to talk about divorce, Lord. I'm good. He says, no, we, we need, I put it in here. We need to teach about that. I said, okay, okay. And so the Lord gave me an illustration that I thought was very interesting. How many of you have ever been to the ocean, in the ocean? We love the ocean, don't we? Yeah, some of you, most of you have, some of you haven't, but that's okay. Here's what happens in the ocean. Your hotel is right there, you're in the ocean, or wherever you put your beach towel in that, and you start swimming, you start playing in the ocean, and you're, you're swimming around, you're having fun. Do you realize that there's an undertow that eventually starts moving you away. And you look up and you go, our hotel's way over there. How did we get here? I'll never forget this. Nathalie's in children's ministry, so I'm going to use her as an illustration. One time we were, we were in the ocean and uh, we were playing and her and my boss at the time, his wife, they were on, a, on one of those, those, those buoy boogie boards and they were talking and they were just kicking. They were, they were just talking, okay? They had their hands there. And they were drifting out to sea, so much so that within a few more minutes, they would, I mean, it would have been, it would have been very, very dangerous. Okay, so they weren't this way, they were going that way. And uh, I told my boss, you need to swim and get them. I'll wait here. <laughs> I wasn't a good swimmer. So we understand, guys, that the tow, the undertow will pull you from where you started. Can I get an Amen. Why do you bring that up? Here's why. We have been pulled from the teaching of our, of the Bible away from the Bible. The undertow has slowly through the years, and you know what? Here's the thing. Even the church, even the church has been pulled away from the Bible where we started. Where we started. It's the same way. In 2022, we're looking up and we go, man, we have gone so far away from what God actually taught us into our own culture. Well, this is how I think. This is what I think. This is what, well, no, I understand. Here's the word of God, but listen, I'm going to close the Bible because me and God, well, we have a special deal. And we don't have a special deal. We need to come back to the word of God. The word of God, the the Lord told us the other day, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And at Calvary, guys, we put a huge emphasis in teaching the word of God. But we must also remember grace. This message is not about if you are divorced or you've ever been divorced. What it is, it's a message about hardening our hearts towards God. We have to be careful. So with that as our intro, let's jump in. Let's look at some great points that the Lord has, and we'll go back. Now, remember, context is key. Amen? So he says in verse 1, if you guys are with me, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitudes follow him, And he healed them there. Can I get a good amen? Amen. 
Why do you say that? So the first thing we see here is Jesus finishes his teaching and he proceeds to Judea. Remember, he's headed towards Jerusalem. Many people hear the word of God says multitudes of people are following him. They would come up to the Passover three times a year. It's kind of interesting because we're headed towards Easter in our every in our every Sunday study and we had Easter last week. But we're headed that way. He's going up. Now, again, think about who would travel. Everyone in the family would travel. Cousins, you can imagine. Cousins, uncles, aunts, everybody's traveling, their friends. So multitudes begin to follow the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to see. We see that Jesus is, there's a bunch of people following him, and it says, and he healed them. What a great compassion, right? But Mark chapter 10, verse 1, jot this down. It says, Then he rose from there, and he came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan, and multitudes gathered to him, and he was accustomed, and he taught them. You with me? So not only did Jesus heal them, he just didn't heal them. He was teaching them. What do you think Jesus was teaching them? He was teaching them the gospel. Now, some of us look at the gospel and go, well, the gospel message is really simple. I gave my life to the Lord. That's the gospel. No, the gospel is so much more. The gospel gets inside you. It changes you inside and out. It changes your behavior. It changes who you are. It changes your beliefs. It changes how you spend money. It changes how you look at people. It changes everything. And Jesus is teaching them. He's teaching them. The word of God is teaching them the word of God. And I love this. Why? Here's why. Listen to me, guys. Not only does Jesus heal them, but he teaches them. You go, well, what's the point? The gospel is designed to save as well as lay a firm foundation for life. Not only life here, but eternal life. Can I get an amen if you're with me? Okay? So so not only does it save us, it helps us in this life, but then we have rest knowing that we have eternal life. We're going to live with God forever. That's a great place for an amen. Two people. But think about this. Think about this, guys. It's important to, again, think about this. If Jesus, he just healed the people, well, then for a few short years, they were going to be made well, but eventually they would die not knowing the truth of the gospel. So we have to look at the gospel as a whole. And you go, why is that? Because I think it's important to receive healing but not at the cost of not being saved. You guys with me? Can you imagine? Jesus, heal me, heal my body again. And the Lord's like, amen, be healed. (gasps) Wow, I'm healed, but I still don't know the Lord. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be healed for a few more years, but eventually this body's going to die, and I'm going to. So Jesus, what does he do? He says, not only am I going to heal you, but I'm going to couple that with teaching so that you can be healed for now, and then you can be healed for later. You can be healed for later. I love that. I love that. Because if we were to read in context alone, it says Jesus healed. Oh, he healed. Great. He's, so, so it's important to receive healing, but not at the cost 
Now, if we have a loved one that's in the hospital and they're needing a, a physical healing, I think it's important to ask for physical healing because you go, well, Ben, they don't know the Lord and they need to be healed. Why do they need to be healed? Because they need more time to hear the word of God. I get amen. But I have prayed, I have prayed for people, gone to the hospital, I have literally prayed for people, and, they, and God has healed them miraculously, and I told them, now God has a plan and a purpose for you. And they don't follow that plan and purpose. They don't acknowledge God at, at all at that point. For the moment, they're crying out to the Lord, but once they're healed, once they're better, they go on with their life. Jesus goes, no, I'm going to make sure you're healed, but I want to make sure that you're saved because eventually this body's going to wear out. Point number two, you ready? Receive your healing. If the word of God says, like, like there might be some of you this, this morning coming in going, I really need a healing. It might be a physical healing. You might be in pain right now. You might have an emotional healing. You might just need something. Here's what I see. Jesus healed, and the Bible tells me he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So again, receive it. You go, Ben, I've prayed. Well, maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your day. You go, yes, I receive it. And maybe God wants to do something special in your heart to receive your healing. It's okay to ask. It's okay to say, God, the Bible tells us that we need to keep on what? Knocking, keep on seeking, keep on asking God. So if you're here today and you're, you came in and you're hurting and you're broken and, and you're sad or whatever it might be, ask the Lord, Lord, would you heal me? Would you heal me? I know you're the same. And if you healed them, I'm, I'm here. I'm here, Lord. I'm here. Lord, would you heal me? Would you heal me? Well, that's the healing. Okay, that's, we received that. Here's where the hardness of heart comes in. Sometimes... Because we equate some of the things to God, some of the stuff that happened to us when it comes to healing and even teaching that we can't receive it anymore. And so the pastor gets up and goes, receive your healing. You go, nope, not me. God's not going to heal me. Nope. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Cool. And your heart is hardened based on your circumstances in life. And so the Lord knocks on your heart and he says, hey, Hey, let's, let's soften that heart a little bit. Let's soften that heart. Well, what, where does it come back? What is it stem to? Well, maybe you're here today and you're not saved. Everybody thinks you're saved. Everybody would believe you're saved, but you're not saved. And you've got a hard heart. And the Lord wants to open it slowly. And here's how he does it beautifully through the, through the song. It begins to open just a little bit and you kind of go, huh, huh. And then eventually... You'll hear the gospel, and you'll hear it in a way like you've never heard it before. What's interesting, at this church, for the last 18 years, there have been people who have raised their hands who have gotten saved that I thought were saved for many, many years. And I'm like, oh, you're already saved. Put your hand down. But quite honestly, they're not. And they've come to the place where they go, and I'll talk to them afterwards, and they go, you know what? I thought I was. But today, God spoke to me. Wow, far out, man. So you go, Ben, I look around on a Sunday morning and I pretty much know everybody in here, but you still give an invitation. Why? You never know. 
You never know. Well, it goes on in verse 3. You guys with me? The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Can you imagine these guys? Can you imagine? Anywhere Jesus was, there's those Pharisees, those religious guys. And they come, and the Bible says, Matthew's like, they were testing him. They're testing him. And here's what I find interesting, guys. They're not inquiring for knowledge and growth. They're not coming in going, God, I want to know. I want to know. What a privilege, saints, you have to come and ask the Lord for knowledge and growth. Lord, I don't know. Help me. Help me. But not the Pharisees. They came trying to trap him. You guys with me? So what was their question? What was the trap? You ready? They come to him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And here's the thing. For just any reason. Is it lawful, Lord? Okay? Now, we have to chat for just a moment. One of the things I want you to see, I want you to see, is Jesus is a few short um, weeks, months, if you will, a few short uh, from going to Jerusalem for, to, to be whipped by a cat of nine tails, to be hung on a cross, basically. So why? For all of mankind, so those who put their faith and trust can be saved. They are known as the bride of Christ. Okay? That's us. So Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem and die for his bride. Let's say it again. For his That's us. But I love how the Holy Spirit is. He's about to die for his bride. And they come asking about marriage and divorce. I love how the Holy Spirit set that up. It's like, oh, oh. But see, they're not interested in knowledge. They're not interested in growth because they say for any reason. For any reason. Now, why would they say that? Well, the Pharisees asked the questions about marriage because it was one of the burning issues of that day. And they wanted Christ to commit himself and thus divide the people against him. You understand that? They were always trying to divide Christ in one way or the other. Here's what I want you to see. I'm going to take a step aside from the pulpit, but I want you to see, in my opinion, that's what the world is trying to do to us today. Whether it be a jab, a mask, whatever it might be, the enemy wants to divide. And the moment we take a hard stand, we've divided the body of Christ. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus wasn't going to fall for it. But I know that was a burning issue of that day, and it's a burning issue today when it comes to divorce, when it comes to remarriage, when it comes to all the issues, the enemy wants to divide us. Can I get an amen? So we acknowledge the enemy wants to divide us. Well, I'm not going to fellowship with Robert anymore because he doesn't believe like I believe. That's division. That's division. Well, what does he believe? Well, he believes the wind blows from the east. And I said, no, it doesn't. It blows from the west. And he's wrong. 
How many of you want to be on my team, West team? Come on, I'm being silly, but that's what we divide over silly things, don't we? Well, I stopped going to that church. Why? Because the pastor moved the copier out of that room and put it in another room. True story. True story. We cannot divide. Well, what were they doing with Jesus? Your attention, please. They had two leading rabbis at the time. You had Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. Two leading rabbis. Now, these rabbis differed greatly. Rabbi Hillel, he looked at Deuteronomy 24.1, and he said, well, here's the thing. Hillel was more of a liberal. Okay? And he looked at Deuteronomy, and he goes, you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, it, yes, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. He was very liberal in his religious-slash-political views. They were sort of one and the same. You go, well, like what? Well, for any reason. This is silly, but this is what he believed. Rabbi Hillel believed that if your wife yelled at you, Rosa, you ever yell at Jim? She's like, amen. He could, if you ever raised your voice, that's it. You're done. We, you could get a divorce if she ever yelled at you. You go, that's silly. You could get a divorce if you looked at your wife and you thought, oh no, somebody's prettier than you. You must go. Like the women in here are going, hmm, I don't like that Hillel at all. Here's, a, here's an interesting one. You realize, and you've heard this before, that, that he could divorce you if you burnt the food or you were an awful cook. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm out! No, really. And here's a funny one that I found. I found. You could divorce your wife if she oversalted your food. Do I have any oversalters in here? Well, women, Joe, women. Why do I say that? Because the women didn't have any rights to really to, at this point, to divorce her husband. Mark says she could, but, but it's more he's, he's gearing that towards the Gentiles. But if a woman, you, she, she brought your burrito, she brought your enchiladas, you tasted, oh, that's salty, or your beans. Now, those are some crazy stuff. And, and there were many more. There were many more. Can you imagine if your wife walked in and said, whose socks are these? Well, the first thing is, is they better be mine or we're in trouble, woman. But if she yelled at you in that way or if she questioned you, you could say, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Now, Rabbi, Rabbi Shammai said, no, 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 Rabbi Hillel is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He said, no, 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 marriage can only be broken by adultery. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. So they want to divide. Okay, so if they come in and go, hey, so Jesus, what do you think about marriage and divorce? He goes, at the moment, he goes, well, I, I sort of stand with Shammai. Everybody who was liberal decided, okay, now you're divided. You've lost those people. If you said, well, I kind of lean towards Hillel, everybody who's going, no, 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 no. She oversalted, no, Jesus. So they're trying to, what's the word? Trap him. 
They're trying. But Jesus goes beyond the rabbis, which I love. And he goes beyond the law. And he reminds the people of the original law of marriage established in the Garden of Eden. And what he does in this passage is he gives three laws. Three laws of marriage discussed over time. And it was controversial. And even today it's controversial. Simply because, remember the, remember the ocean illustration? We've moved away from the word of God, so it's controversial. This whole passage is controversial. How so? Well, let's look. Jesus said in verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? I love that. Because he goes, Hey, haven't you guys read the Bible? Now these are the Pharisees. They should know. They, were, should, they should have memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the... He goes, Have you not read? Could you imagine? Could you imagine going up to a great theologian and saying, Don't you read the Bible? They'd be like, What? He said, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man, let not man separate. So the first thing Jesus does is he gives them the Edenic law. The Edenic law. God instituted marriage in Eden long before the Mosaic law. You understand that? And the Bible gives at least four purposes for marriage. What was that? He said in Genesis to continue the race, to, to multiply, to have kids, for companionship and enjoyment. Your spouse should be your best friend companionship and enjoyment to avoid fornication sex outside of marriage that's my wife and to show the relationship between christ and the church okay so what does jesus do he takes us back to creation well why is this controversial because now we've moved so far away from the word of god that it's not creation it's evolution it's evolution and what we do is now evolution tax Genesis 1-1. Well, no, no, no. See, it wasn't that God created everything. It was that over time, you know, this fish got out of water and it started growing legs. And after legs, it started doing this. And then, and then, and then it became this and this and this. And now it's you. <laughs> but the attack is on Genesis 1-1. You understand that? Why is it, why is the attack on, why wouldn't it be the attack on, on, on John chapter 1 verse 1? Because if we, if we, if we doubt or we don't believe Genesis 1-1, then we'll have a hard time believing the rest of the Bible. But if you believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it created male and female, he did this, then the rest of the stuff is easy. Oh, God did that. It's not a problem making male and female. What other controversy do we have? Well, it wasn't a big deal then, it's a big deal now. Because it says he created them what? Male and female, right, right. That's controversy. Why? Because it was created by God, and it was gender by God. You guys with me? It was gender by God. But today, listen to me, man is trying to rewrite Genesis. How? By confusing people. 
take away the skin, take away the organs, take away all, you realize that men and women were created differently simply from the hips. You can tell a woman from a man based the way God created the hips. The pelvic area. Because a woman was designed to create, to, to have babies. Where men are not. Guys, this is, this is exactly what they're doing. They're trying to rewrite gen, they're trying to confuse, well, I was driving to church the other morning and I was listening to Radio by Grace and, and one of the pastors was talking about Bruce Jenner. You guys know who Bruce Jenner is now, now Caitlyn Jenner. Very interesting to me because I saw him the other day on a YouTube thing and um, he has a deeper voice than me. I mean, it's just, I mean, you understand that. But one of the things that he said that I found very interesting, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, whatever you, whatever you, I call him Bruce. He said, God, he said this, he believes in God. God has blessed my life so much. Because you know he's a great athlete, right? He says, God made one mistake. And now we have Caitlyn Jenner. God made one mistake. It's confusion. Listen to me. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. And so what's happening now is we're coming out and we're going, oh, look, here's, here's the gender. Well, you get to pick. No, God created your gender. Okay? He created you female, X chromosome. He created you male, XY. You can't change that. You can't change. Well, that's controversy, Ben. Listen, this is what the word of God says. And yet, when does God create that? At the time of conception. But because we are the, we, we're in the undertow of the ocean, guys, and we're drifting away from the word of God, where does it start? It starts with a hard heart. It starts with a hard heart. God, you made a mistake. God, you made a mistake. I don't like who I am, so I want to be somebody else. God doesn't make mistakes. He made you specifically, but we have a hard heart. As a matter of fact, I'm going, to put, uh, I'm going to put a YouTube website that I want you to watch on your own. You can jot this down, okay? He's going to put it on up there. Um, jot that down. Leave it up there for, for just a little bit, guys. And this is, this is on Tucker, and I found this. This is about a 23-year-old woman who regretted transitioning as a teen. This is her words, not mine. You can snap a picture of it if you want, but, but read when you get a chance. When you get a chance. Because we're confusing our generation. We are allowing, we are allowing three-year-olds to pick what gender they are. And they haven't even got used to their sippy cup yet. At three-year-olds, I was still eating dirt. I don't know. I mean, you understand that I was. But again, guys, this is where we've drifted from the word of God. 
I like what Warren Wearsby says. He says it better than I could. He says, quote, The original purpose was that one man should wed one woman and only death should break that union. Marriage is basically a physical union, although it ought to be a union of minds and hearts too. The marriage union is stronger than family ties, for a man must leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It's a sacred union, for Jesus says that God joins a man and a woman together. So he says, listen, not only is it, not only do you have controversy, but he comes back to this. Why? Because in marriage, we've also moved away from the word of God. So, so Jesus takes him to the Edenic law, but now you have the temporary Mosaic law. Look at verse seven and eight with me, guys. He's going to put it up there. Hope you all got that. And they said to him, this is the Pharisees, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Two operative words here I want you to circle in your Bible or whatever. The one of them, they're coming and said, why did Moses give a command? Why did Moses command them? And Jesus says, you got that wrong. Moses never commanded anything. He permitted it. Why did he permit it, guys? He says, because of the hardness of your heart. And it almost goes back, remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, haven't you guys read? Haven't you read? What did Moses do? He permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God originally intended. And remember, what was happening in this day, very different than our culture, people were marrying for whatever reason and divorcing for whatever reason. Oh, I like you. I'll marry you. No, I don't like you. I brought her to my house and she snores. Out. She does this. She does that. I mean, and again, remember, the woman had no rights to go, well, he snores too. It was all. And so they, so Moses is like, okay, but it gets deeper, guys. It gets deeper. And you go, why? Back when Moses was around, all the way through the days of Jesus, men are the only ones who could initiate divorce. Women could not. They also, women didn't work and had no means of support. So if a man wanted to divorce his wife, this was bad news. Okay? So if he said, you oversalted my food, right? And he pushed her out, she was out in the cold, if you will in the hot, in the desert. She just didn't have anything. She had no money. She had no place to live. It was a horrible thing. Listen, that's why many of them, even in the day, would turn to what? Prostitution. That's the only way they could live. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the woman at the well. How many times was she married? I wonder why. I wonder if if it was just so flippant that it was like, and she's like, man, I've got... Listen, I either need to work, I need to do, I don't know what I'm going to do because they won't hire me, or I need to get married again. And it didn't work. And to get married again, and to get married again. And it got so bad that, and again, I'm just giving you my opinion, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder if it was those things where it's like, well, I'm not even going to get married, just take care of me. Just let me eat. I have nowhere to go. And then she meets Jesus. So think about that. So Moses permitted, everybody say permitted, 
with a certificate. You go, what does that mean? That means that it would be harder to simply divorce them for any reason. Okay? It was just like, nope, nope, oh, man. Because they would have to be taken care of by the men, which we know as alimony. You have to take care of them. So if you went, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of you, I still have to pay and make sure you were taken care of. And you had the dowry and you had all of the stuff that goes, I don't have time to get into that. But you understand, this is why Moses did that. He said, okay. Now, don't miss the cause. The cause wasn't, it was the hardness of the heart. And this is key. Jesus says from the very beginning, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like this. So now, he actually narrows the gate. He says, let me talk about my law. Look at verse 9. He says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. That's the verse. You go, why? Because in our culture, there are many people who are divorced and have been remarried. And have been remarried. If you take this without context, then I can make it say, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. If you've been married before and divorced, boom, you're in big trouble. Because here's what, but I, we've got to do it with, with context, okay? In context. And so we have to be careful. Let's break it down. Understand that this is not the unpardonable sin. That Jesus actually allows um, for divorce. You go, how so? He says for sexual immorality. You realize that Paul take it even a step further. He says, if you're married and you get saved and your husband says, no, I don't want to be married to a saved woman. He says, you can go ahead and put her away. You can get divorced and, and, and move on. Paul says that. So we can't take it and go, blanket statement. There you go. If you've ever been, no, 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 no. Many, 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 many things happened. But it's the hardness of the heart. How so? Let me take you back. Let's say a man has an affair with another woman, and the woman says, I understand, I choose to forgive him because that's what calls, call, calls me. There, there's been repentance, there's been reconciliation, God has just... And that happens, and that's always the goal, okay? That's always the goal. Whenever there's sexual immorality, whatever, that's always the goal is reconciliation, but there are times when it cannot. And there are reasons beyond which a woman has to get away from her husband. There are reasons you go, I don't know. But I will say this to you. This is Ben's opinion, okay? I'm going to move from the, but this is my opinion. No woman in here should be anybody's punching bag. And if your husband is doing that, you need to get away. I'm telling you. That's wrong. It's biblically wrong. And there are reasons, there are reasons why somebody says, I'm going to choose to divorce. I married too quickly. I need to get away from him. I didn't realize he was abusive. And, and I mean, there's, there's tons of reasons. So please don't go here today going, well, the word of God said that I, if I'm divorced, I'm committing adultery. Here's the point. The point is, here's the heart of God. The heart of God is he understands that divorce hurts. And it tears apart a physical bond. He understands that. So if you were to look at verse 9, 
you have to realize that he understands and he wants to convey to us the seriousness of marriage. And we have to be so careful that we don't go, oh my gosh, I just, and, 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 and guess what? I found my guy. I found him. Really, how do you know? Because he reads the Bible. Okay, what else? Well, he's just good looking. But what else? Well, he reads the Bible. Or vice versa. A guy comes to me and goes, man, I found the girl. Well, what do you like about her? She goes to church with her parents. And she's good looking. Oh, by the way, she cooks really good. Those aren't spiritual, guys. Those aren't spiritual enough. And so Jesus says the seriousness of marriage, and I'll tell you why, because divorce hurts. And his heart for us is so tender that he doesn't want to see us hurt. And you go, well, Ben, it was inevitable. That's why his mercies are new every morning. And you go, okay. So if you're born again, you go, okay, I'm starting afresh. And if God brings somebody new to you and you go, has that happened? Actually, it has. How so? Biblically, King David. King David is a great example. Why? Because he had an affair with Bathsheba. And then he went and had her husband killed. And he suffered the consequences. But do you remember what happened to David? He repented. said, Lord, I've sinned against you. I'm so sorry. And he reconciled. And guess what? God blessed their marriage. He took Bathsheba as his wife. They had Solomon. They had other kids. But God blessed his marriage. So God's not going, okay, I got my arms crossed. If you've been divorced in here, you're in trouble. You cannot do this. He's not saying that. He's going, I've got great plans for you. I've got great plans for you. What I would ask is be careful with the hardness of your heart. Because I've seen so many people so hurt and so broken that they go, I'm never going to get married again. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to trust another person again. And the problem is, is that God, in his loving mercy, brings you somebody so wonderful, but you, listen to me, you sabotage that because you've been so hurt. And so we have to let the Holy Spirit do the work in our hearts to go, okay, that's what God is speaking Do we understand this? God loves us very, very much, and he understands that our culture is so different and that we strayed away. And Jesus narrows the gate, not because he's mean or anything else, because he loves us and he knows that divorce hurts. So he wants us to take, he wants us to take marriage very seriously. And in my marriage... You have to have some rules, guys. You have to have some rules. You have to protect your marriage. And let me say this to you. If you're here today and you're married, know that the devil's coming after your marriage because it's such a beautiful picture. And I don't care if you've divorced or married. If you're married today, he's coming after you. And men, you need to step up and guard your marriage. 
Men, you need to step up and guard your marriage. You have to. Tell your wife she's beautiful. If you don't, somebody else will. Guard your marriage. Guard your marriage. Well, give me, give me an example, okay? In your marriage, never use the D word. That's a curse word. I like what they asked, I like what they asked Ruth Graham when it came to Billy. She said, Ruth, did you ever want to divorce him? She goes, divorce him? No. Kill him, yes. <laughs> Till death do us part. But you understand, this is when you when you do this, this is it. This is it. We'll work through it thick and thin. But we're not going to let the devil get a foothold. You start fresh today. You start fresh today. And that's what he's talking about. Well, of course, the disciples look at verse 10. The disciples tripped, right? They said to him, If this is such a case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. So they're like, really, if that's it, then nobody should get married, <laughs> right? Now, remember, that some of the disciples, think about Peter. Peter was married. And so they're pro- that probably was Peter, but it says the disciples. And he said to them, all cannot accept the saying, but to those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs. Now, we can just, we can institute in here, we can substitute the word eunuchs for singles, for single people. You guys, okay? For there are those, uh, again, there are, there are singles who are born from their mother's womb, okay? They're, sing- they, they're, they're born single. They're not married right now. He says, he says, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. You guys know that, right? They were, these guys had a wife. They had male servants, and they said, hey, to keep your hands off my wife, we're going we're gonna to castrate you so that you don't have those desires. Now, listen, let me, let me try to tie this in. That's probably, Potiphar was probably a eunuch in Pharaoh's government. You go, why? Because it was Pharaoh's wife that was going after Joseph. Sly with me, sleep with me, my husband's out of town. It wasn't, I mean, it could be that her husband wasn't satisfied, but it, most people believe that that was, that, that was it. So you have some who are made to do that. And he says this, he says this. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him take it. He goes, there are people who grow up and go, I'm single. I like being single. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I get to serve the Lord. Well, do you have, and you go, well, Pastor Ben, uh, I don't think I could be single. I don't think I have that gift. If you're worried about it, you don't have that gift. If you're single in here and you're like, ah, but if you're single in here and you're going, man, I'm good. I'm really good. I'm, I'm good. I love Jesus and I, and that's okay. I'm not, I don't, then God has gifted you in that area. And that's amazing. That's amazing. Because quite honestly, you're the bride of Christ. You're already married. You're just married in a different way. You're married to the king of king and you're going to do what he wants you to do. So if you're in here and you're single, or you're in here and you're married. It's all good. It's all good. 
If you're single, love Jesus. Now, let me tell you, I'm going I'm to preach to these kids right here. If you're single and you're looking for your husband, make sure he's running alongside you first. That you're not dragging him. And he's back there. That he's running hard and fast after Jesus. And if you look to the side and, and they're running, okay, that's good. That's good. That's what we should do. Single people, if you go, Ben, I, I want to be married. I want to be married someday. Amen. Make sure she's running hard and fast alongside you. Make sure she's running. There she is. Make sure he's running because he needs to be the spiritual leader of that house. He needs to be the one going, okay, I'm the pastor of this house. Let's go. That's what Jesus is saying to us. We need to take this very serious. And if that's not enough, he says, now let's introduce the children. Look at verse 13 through 15, and we're going to close with this. He says, the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. Isn't that neat? And the disciples rebuked him. Can you imagine? Get those kids away from here. Jesus is busy. And he's like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Let the little children come to me and don't forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. And he parted from there. Why? Why does Jesus, how does the Holy Spirit introduce children? Because that's what happens. We get married, we have children, and the children have such great childlike faith in what God has said. that he says, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. And he says, don't, don't hinder the children. Don't you just love your kids? Man, they have such great faith. They have great faith, even when they're real little. They believe the impossible. You're almost worried. Oh, you know, and you're just like, oh, don't pray that. I don't know if God can do that. They're like, no, God can do it. And, and I love that. Why? But it's the same thing he's saying. The disciples didn't understand, and they brought the little children, and, and they rebuked them. And Jesus said, I'm going to rebuke you. Let the children come. To me, And I think, not that we act like children, but that we have childlike faith when it comes to the Lord. That childlike faith. Okay, lots to think about, guys. But with the couple of minutes that we have, let me reiterate what we've learned, okay? Remember, this is a teaching on the hardness of hearts. And we need to remember that salvation is key. Why is it key? Because if we harden our heart towards the Lord, then we can't get saved. And so many people have run from the Lord because of the circumstances and, and they've allowed that issue to build up and build up and build up and says, hey, you need to give your life to Jesus. They go, no, thank you. That's key. Number two, the Lord reminds us that seriousness, the seriousness of marriage and that we shouldn't light, take it lightly and that we should pray and that we should seek counsel and that we should see these things. And that we should trust his sovereignty. If God has called you to be single, be single for him. If God has called you to, to purpose to be single for him, be single for him. But marriage is seriousness. And if God has brought somebody that's going to be your best friend, then that's your best friend. Don't sabotage that. Trust him. Trust him. It takes all of you to go, okay, I trust him. I trust him. And last but not least, guys, children are a blessing. They're a blessing. And we shouldn't have hard hearts toward them. But we should love them. Amen? Amen.
Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray, and this is sincere, God, I pray that... um, That everything I said, Lord, that you would remind the people of what you want them to learn and not, not what I said. But I thank you that your grace is new every morning, and I thank you that no matter where we are today, we can start afresh. And we can grow in the marriage that we're in today. And we can tell the enemy to, to be quiet when it comes to our past because that's forgiven. Lord, forgive us for moving away from your word, but to trust your word as we grow. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I would just ask, maybe you're here today and God was speaking to you ever so beautifully. And you've realized a couple of things here this morning. that you're really not saved. Like, like we were talking and some lights were going on in your head and it, and it brought you the realization, you go, I don't know if I'm really saved. I don't know if I really have a relationship. I don't think I have a relationship like you were talking about. And like you would ask yourself, Lord, if I died tonight, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I don't know if I don't know if I've been good enough. I don't know if I've been bad enough. I don't know what it is, Lord, but I don't know. Well, see, it's not about that. It's about if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. And the gospel has changed you from the inside out. Well, Ben, the gospel hasn't changed me from the inside out. I, I prayed a prayer when I was when I was nineteen, but I but 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 nothing's really, really changed. I still find myself doing the same things that I did before, and well the gospel will change you. But you have to make that decision to fully surrender your life to him. You have to make that decision. No one can make it for you. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would say with me today, Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? I need to surrender my life completely to him. I've been holding back some areas. I've been... I, hadn't, I have not fully surrendered. I've partially surrendered, but maybe today you're here and God is knocking on your heart so beautifully that he's saying, today you need to get saved. Today you need to join the family of God. Today I have the blessing for you. It's time. And you go, Ben, what do I have to do? All you have to do right now, my friend, is just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Ben, it's me. It's me. Pray for me. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to be in the family of God. Would you do that right now? I'll just give you a couple of minutes. Just lift up your hand. Just lift up your hand. And say, Ben, pray for me. This is between you and God. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anyone else? I'm going to pray for you. Anyone else? This is between you and God. This is you. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm saying this is heaven. You and God. Forever. Eternity. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, that's me. Lift up your hand right now. Lift up your hand so I can see you. If you're watching online, you can just lift up your hand. God will see you. If you lifted up your hand and you're serious about God, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry 
the gospel hasn't changed me, and so I need you. I commit my life to you. I believe, Lord, that you died on the cross for me. I believe, Lord, that you resurrected and are sitting at the right hand of God. I believe with all of my heart that you're coming back for me. That's how much you love me. But I need help, Lord. I can't do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit. So I'm asking you, would you come into my heart? I give you permission to take control of all of me. And I would ask you to be my Lord. I give you all of me. Be my God. I trust you. Be my Savior. I can't wait to be with you. And be my friend. Guide me today. From this day forward, for forever, I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, would you welcome the person who raised their hand with me? It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when one person repents, the angels throw a party in heaven. And we're going to party with you. We're going to party with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because one soul is well worth it. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Let's worship and uh, we'll get out of here. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.